that's fine. I can just and hang like, out with Chris because I was I'm gonna say it's only really, gonna be like an hour and a half, so it's I'm not like really only there to visit him. So I know, I know you want to get that D. I do. <laughs> <laughs> I do. I do. Mm. <laughs> mm. I'm just so excited for his D D. <laughs> Whoa! Now that it's <laughs> to be fair, now that it's been in you, I'm. It's totally unappealing. I can't. I can't. I just it's can't. weird. I could it's never. Weird. It's weird. <laughs> Hello. No. Just oh. kidding. Yeah. No. 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 That's it. No. You keep, keep it. Going. Roll. We're rolling. Uh, welcome to the puberty podcast. <laughs> that squeak it. Oh, it opened up again. Um. Christina's it. door is haunted. So. <laughs> Welcome to episode 97. 97. We are three away from 100 of I'm Sorry What the Podcast. I'm Amanda. That's Christina. She's busy. I'm Christina. Excuse me one moment. She's got to actually shut and click the door shut because it keeps swinging open on her. Good Swear job. I'm God, proud of you. It's actually my father like getting up and opening the door. I'm going to fucking kill right? him. <laughs> <laughs> that would be hilarious. <laughs> Uh, she just got up without a walker or a scooter or anything. She took a few steps over to the door, so I'm pretty excited. I'm mostly mobile. On the mend. <laughs> on the mend. I start back to work on Monday, which will be two days after this or before this comes out. So I'll be at work yes. for three days when this comes out. Um... <laughs> that was still some to, good time travel. I'm gonna walk <laughs> <laughs> if I'm gonna walk any distance I still have to use my cane but like just around the house and I don't have to have my cast on at all times either I can walk without it on like oh, short yeah. distances I was gonna say you have to start like moving it and stuff now huh yeah so over the next four weeks I have to basically transition out of my cast so, so physical just, therapy nope not doing that you're not well he it was funny my appointment was on tuesday and he was like well should we schedule some physical therapy and i went do i have to and he looked at me and i was like because like when i think about times this would be my sixth trip to physical therapy on my ankle and i like know what to do right (laughs) and he's like you're right. You could probably teach your own course on it. And I'm like, and anything that I need like someone else to do, I can have my like mom or dad. Cause I have to right now it's so it's been in the cast so long that I can't get it to do a full 360 rotation. Like it's too weak. You've atrophied. I know. Well, so I have to have my dad like 360 rotate my right, ankle, physically like, do the it. joint. Yeah. And that's really, other than that, all the other stuff is like exercises I can do myself. Without, well, because it's like, a lot of like it's a lot of like points. It's just range of yeah, it's range oh, of range point. of motion and like strengthening. Yeah. And so I was like, "Do I have to?" And he's like, "How about this? You start slowly working on like the different exercises, and then if we have an I have an appointment in like four to six weeks. So I think they did it at seven weeks." Um, he's like, "If you're having any, if it's not like improving at all, and you're having a lot of pain." um call me otherwise we'll touch base at weeks at our next appointment and decide if you actually need to go to physical therapy or not because you're not gonna he's like barring like you jumping out of like a third story window or like having a traumatic accident where you like break your ankle I don't think you can do anything to hurt it at this point I'm like (laughs) (laughs) why do you always challenge me You know, I'll find a way. <laughs> you know, between sometime between our last surgery and this surgery, I tore a tendon, so right? Don't he's, he's like, Well me. don't 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 try to hurt it. <laughs> I'm like, I'm not This is the most expensive body part I have. I'm not gonna try to hurt it. I don't think you understand. I don't try to do anything, sir. <laughs> it just happens to me. <laughs> I'm just an angel of grace, and that's what happens. I'm just, I'm just an angel of grace. What is happening? <laughs> I don't know. What's happening? No, I don't want to update right now. Get out of here. Of course, it's asking to update right now. <laughs> Get out of here. 
I can't find you. I'm here. Oh, I'm there you are. Here. Wait, why are you the thumbnail? Oh, there we go. I don't know. Find me. <laughs> hello, 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 Amanda. Uh, so that was that's me. That's that's exciting. That's all I do. And now because I'm, I have severe anxiety and I don't take medication for it. I'm just out here raw dog in my mental illness. I am. I've been wanting to go back to work for weeks and now it's like the day before and I'm like, I don't want to go back. I'm super anxious. Like, because I'm crazy. You know how it is? No, I totally get it. Even like taking a week off, like when I went to Georgia, I was like going back and it's not even like, I don't necessarily want to go back. I'm like, what if I forget to do something or forget how to do something? And it's getting back into the routine. That's like, Oh, Right. And they keep telling me, they're like, God, we've missed you. You know, we really want your, we need you back. Blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, well, what if I'm not as good as I was before? What if what my if ankle, what if my ankle injury was the source of my power? <laughs> what if I don't live up to your expectations? <laughs> what if my ankle injury was the source of my power? <laughs> my, my power is now gone. My trauma was the source of my power. <laughs> it fed my strength. <laughs> I'm sure I'll have another trauma soon here. Yeah, just give it a second. <laughs> uh, uh, good. Right. I'm glad you're mobile. Thank you. How how you be y- y- doing? <laughs> I be doing good. <laughs> um, no, I'm good. Been working a lot. It's been kind of chaotic. Had the stomach flu over the week or stomach bug of some oh, sort. I had that. Yeah, I felt like I died my entire soul I felt like I was dying it felt it like was... you turned inside out yeah yeah well, it, the... I felt maybe I passed it to you via the zoom, zoom. <laughs> okay that's it no more zoom anything either <clears throat> um no it, it was uh okay we're gonna do some over share corner uh, poop talk poop talk uh so it was coming out everywhere right and uh, I, every time I was about to throw up because I knew it was coming out everywhere, it was like, I have to find something to throw up into so that I (laughs) can take care of everything. Just throwing up into random objects. (laughs) Well, I had to, there was nothing to find like in the middle of the night when I got up and I was like, uh, uh, so I had to pull a planter. (laughs) Yeah. So I had to like pull the inside of a garbage that just happened to be sitting in the hallway at my parents' house so that I had something to throw up in because I couldn't find bowls. I couldn't find your your parents' house. Yes. Um, Because I worked all week in Rochester. So I was staying there for the week. And so I wasn't even like at my house and I was two hours away from my house so there was no going home to just like be in my own space oh it's the worst I was not jazzed so I like run and I grab it and it was like a panic because as soon as I was like gonna you know the dripping sweat watery mouth Mm -hmm. it was like my ears went muted yeah started like blacking out it felt like until after I was done throwing up and then like I'd look up and it'd be like oh like I don't think I would breathe for the entire minute that I was <laughs> it, regurgitating. It was so scary. I was like, I have not been actually like I've had food junk before. I know that's in the I'm last few you. years. The stomach flu I haven't had since I was like ten, and it was <gasps> not a fun time. Well, and at first I was like, well, maybe it was a food thing. So I like mm-hmm. messaged my boss in the morning. I'm like, hey, I'm not actively throwing up. I'm still a little like nauseous and stuff. Like if you want me to try to come in, I can. Cause I think it was just food since I wasn't at the time being sick. Um, and then she goes, yeah, if you can try, that'd be great. We're understaffed. I'm like, okay, cool. So I get up, I get dressed, I go start my car. I come in and I go in and I'm like, mom, I'm feeling a little, I'm, do you have a bucket? Is there something down here I can grab? <laughs> like all of a sudden she goes, uh, uh, there's a bowl in here. I'm like, no time. And I run upstairs and grab my like garbage thing and run to the bathroom. <laughs> and then I text my boss and I was like, yeah, I don't think it's happening. She goes, yeah, you should probably stay home if you're still throwing up. I'm like, okay, cool. Cause it was just like, okay, cool. I thought it was just food because it was like a three hour chunk of like being sick for in the middle of the night and then mm-hmm. I went to sleep and yeah. I woke back up and I was like I mean I still feel kind of gross but that's when I'm like okay it's a bug because it's definitely lasting longer than just getting food out of my system yeah, <laughs> yeah that yeah. was my um 
I that was a week for me. So Ugh. luckily it was literally just a 24 hour period because mm-hmm. then the day after that I was fine. Like I had a headache from being dehydrated, yeah. but otherwise like I wasn't nauseous. I ate lunch that day. And it was really funny because after I ate lunch, after not eating for like the 36 hours or whatever it was, I ate lunch and it hit me and I was like, oh, it's kind of like a brick. And then I took my break and I came back. I'm like, I have like energy now. It's wild how like the nutrition, like it hits your system and you can tell. It can like move and function. I like, I can think. It's awesome. (laughs) It's crazy. (laughs) But yeah, so that was my, my exciting week. Oh, Happy Valentine's Day, by the way. It is oh, Valentine's Day too. currently. I don't recording. have a husband. I don't have, well, I don't have a husband either. You have a fiance. It's the same thing. I would say not the same thing, <laughs> but close. <laughs> <laughs> similar, similar. Uh, uh, yeah. I'm just going to prerequisite this. I'm sorry if I'm ing a lot. I've had a sinus infection all week, so I'm doing what I can to stop doing that, but. I'm not going to edit them all out the entire recording because it's going to take forever. So, right. Well, and I might do it a couple times too because we went to the gym this morning and it's like negative 20 without wind chill today. So, talk to me about how dry my fucking skin is. Okay. I have pieces that are just peeling off because it's so dry. And I've done like a moisture mask. I'm going to have to do another one today. My poor skin. Right. I, um, that's what we're talking about now. Yeah. Chris gave me for Valentine's Day, gave me a a humidifier because I I have been having such a hard time waking up because my nose hurts, my throat hurts because it's so dry. I was just thinking about how I needed a humidifier Uh, when I was at Walmart the other day. Fucking winter. Fucking winter. Luckily, it's already February. So, I mean, we have until may that we usually are like on and off cold stuff yeah but yeah okay enough of this like chatty kathy it's been two weeks since her and i have really actually talked so we're definitely on a chat and catch up stop picking at your skin now that i point drew attention to the dry patches thinking about it stop gotta get this one i'm watching your lip Pull down go. because you had to yank on your skin. <laughs> there we go. I got her. I'm Great. proud of you. Okay. <laughs> you got a story? I do. Do you remember your story? No, but then Me? I opened it and I was like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. So I am doing my story on Karen Gay Silkwood, the first nuclear whistleblower. Karen? Karen. She's a lady. <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa. She's a lady. And the lady <laughs> is a man. Okay. Um, she was born in Longview, Texas, and raised in um, Netherland, Texas. Uh, she had two sisters, Linda and Rosemary, and attended Lamar University in Beaumont, Texas. Just a little background. Okay. Uh, in 1965, she wer- married uh, William Meadows, who was an oil pipeline worker, um, and she had three children. However, they had to file for bankruptcy due to uh, William Meadows, like, overspending, and he had an extramarital affair that he refused to end. So she divorced him in 1972 and moved to Oklahoma City, where she briefly worked as a hospital clerk. Um, And then she was hired on at Care McGee Cimarron Fuel Fabrication Site Plant uh, near Crescent, Oklahoma in 1972. She joined the local oil chemical and atomic workers union and took part in a strike against the plant after the strike ended she was elected to the union's bargaining committee uh the she was the first woman to achieve that position at the care mcgee plant uh, and she was assigned to investigate health and safety issues Uh, she discovered that she believed what she believed to be numerous violations of health regulations including exposure of workers to contamination, faulty respiratory equipment, and improper storage of samples. She believed the lack of sufficient shower facilities could increase the risk of employee contamination. Mm. So 
The Oil, Chemical, and Atomic Workers Union said that the Carmagee plant had manufactured faulty fuel rods, falsified product inspection records, and risked employee safety, uh, and they threatened litigation. But in the summer of 1974, so it, and in the summer of and in the summer of 1974, uh, Karen testified at the Atomic Energy Commission about having been contaminated alleging that safety standards had slipped because of production speed up and she was she was appearing with other union members basically to kind of say that this is not a safe working environment right that went through and then um i think they were still like reviewing it and then then in november of 1974 plutonium 239 was found on karen silkwood's hands so she had oh, been working no working in a glove box in the metalography laboratory where she was grinding and polishing plutonium pellets that would be used in the fuel rods. Okay. And at 6.30 p.m., she decided to monitor herself because they all have to monitor themselves for radiation to make sure they're not being exposed to it and that their levels are, like, within the approved range. Mm-hmm. Um, so she monitored herself for that alpha ray activity with the detector that was mounted on the glove box um the right side of her body read positive mostly on the right sleeve and shoulder of her overalls she was taken to the plant's health physics office where she was given a test called a nasal swipe and the test measures a person's exposure to airborne plutonium um but might it also measures plutonium that one got on the person's nose from their hands And the swipe showed an activity, which was like a modest positive result. So it wasn't terrible, but it was also more than it should have more than it should have been. Um, All I'm thinking as you're talking about this is in the Simpsons, when he works at the like atomic energy plant and that like stick sticks to the back of his, uh, (laughs) his shirt and they carry it around the entire like town and it pulls in people's groceries and then like Maggie's sucking on it and it's a it's an a an atomic stick <laughs> just you know talking about how fucked up the city is <laughs> <laughs> now I can't get that picture out of my head um so two gloves in the glove box like what had been using were replaced um, strangely, the gloves were found to have plutonium on the outside surfaces that were in contact with that were in contact with Silkwood's hands, but there were no leaks found in the gloves. So they were found like, would it be like that? It's not sealed correctly, but that right. But there were no leaks found in the gloves. So they were they were. It was found where their her hands would be, but there was no leaks in the gloves to determine like why was it found where her hands would be okay um there was no plutonium found on the surfaces in the room where she had been working and the filter papers from the two air monitors in the room showed that there were no there was no significant plutonium in the air so how did that plutonium get on the gloves where she would put her hands right and onto her and stuff right okay so by 9 p.m Silkwood's cleanup had been completed. So then by cleanup, she had to like go through the showers and go through like all the testing and stuff to make sure that everything, all was... the radiation was off of her. Right. And as a precautionary measure, she was put on a program in which her total urine and feces were collected for five days for plutonium measurements. Mm-hmm. Um, she returned to the laboratory and worked again until 1.10 a.m. and did no further work in, but did no further work in the glove box area. Um, and as she left the plant, she monitored herself and found nothing. Okay. The next morning, as she headed to a union negotiation meeting, Silkwood again tested positive for plutonium. Although she had performed only paperwork duties that morning, she was given more intensive decontamination. So she was once again tested positive for higher than normal, but she had hadn't she'd only worked in the paperwork basically. Not that you maybe know, but is she the only one who's testing positive randomly or is At it? At this point, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, on November 7th, so this was five or two days after the first incident, 
as she entered the plant, she was found to be dangerously contaminated. Her body contained almost 400 times the legal limit for plutonium contamination, and she was expelling contaminated air from her lungs. What the fuck? She was rigorously decontaminated again at the plant and then sent home with a testing kit to collect urine and feces for further analysis. Although there was plutonium on the inner portions of the gloves, which she had been using, the gloves did not have any holes once again. And this suggests the contamination had come not from inside the glove box, but from some other source. I was going to say, is it just from her? Like, did she transfer it from her body since she's testing so high? Maybe. We don't know yet. Okay. So a health physics team accompanied her back to her home and found found plutonium traces on several surfaces, especially in the bathroom and the refrigerator. When the house was later stripped and decontaminated, some of her property had to be destroyed because it was decontaminated. And then Silkwood, her boyfriend, Drew Stevens, and her roommate, Dusty Ellis, were all sent to Los Alamos National Laboratory for in-depth testing to determine the extent of the contamination in their bodies. So what she had said was when she she had spilled some of her urine when she had done a urine sample on the toilet mm. and then cleaned it up and threw that in the garbage. And so she's wondering if that had like made it contaminated. Way. Yeah. Yeah. So questions arose over how Silkwood became contaminated over the three day period. She said the contamination in the bathroom may have occurred, like I said, when she had spilled her urine sample on the morning of November 7th, which was consistent with the samples that she had taken at home were with extremely high levels of contamination. However, the samples taken in fresh jars at the plant and at Los Alamos showed her lower, showed that she had a lower contamination. Hmm. Uh, she thought she had been contaminated at the plant, but Care McGee's management said that Silkwood had contaminated herself in order to portray the company in a negative light. I mean, it kind of sounds that way that things, I don't know, from what we know, it sounds like there's something fishy happening. Right. However, there was a book that was written um, by Richard L. Rashke called The Killing of Karen Silkwood. So, spoiler alert. Right. Um, and to be fair, this was this book is painted is very pro Karen, anti Karen McGee. But um, this he stated in his book that the security at the plant was so lax that workers could easily smuggle out finished plutonium pellets. Rashke wrote that the soluble type of plutonium found in Silkwood's body came from a production area which she had no access to for four months. The pellets had since been stored in the vault facility, um, and that. There were, he even was able to determine that there were plutonium missing that they were never able to account for. Oh. So Silkwood said that she had assembled documentation for her claims that she, that Care McGee is the one who contaminated her, including a lot of company papers and documentation. Um, She decided to go public with the evidence and contacted David Burnham, who was a New York Times journalist who was interested in her story. So on November 13th, she was to meet David near Oklahoma City. Uh, and she left a union meeting at the Hub Cafe in Crescent. Uh, another attendee of that meeting later testified that Silkwood had a binder and a packet of documents with her at the cafe. She got into her Honda Civic and headed alone for Oklahoma City about 30 miles to meet Burnham and also Steve Woodka, an official of her union's national office. So this was all above board. Like she was meeting a journalist and a union rep together mm-hmm. to go over this stuff. Right. And But she never made it to that meeting. Uh, later that evening... Silkwood's body was found in her car, which had run off the road and struck a culvert on the east side of State Highway 74. The car contained none of the documents she had been holding in the union meeting at the Hub Cafe, and she was pronounced dead at the scene in what was believed to be an accident. The trooper at the scene remembers that he found one or two tablets of the sedative, it's a quaalude, in the car, and he remembers finding cannabis. The police report indicate that she fell asleep at the wheel. The coroner found 0.35 milligrams of methylcoalune per 100 milliliters of blood at the time of her death, an amount almost twice the recommended dosage for inducing drowsiness, and about 50 milligrams of undissolved methylcoalune remained in her stomach. Oh. they be- But her family believes that another vehicle was part of the accident. So skid marks from Silkwood's car were present on the road, suggesting that she was trying to get back on the road after being pushed from behind. Mm, like she got bumped off. Right. 
Investigators also noted damage on the rear end of Silkwood's vehicle that, according to her friends and family, had not been present before the accident. As the crash was entirely a front-end collision, it did not explain the damage to the rear of the vehicle. A microscopic examination of the rear of Silkwood's car showed paint chips that could have come from a rear impact by another vehicle. Uh, Her family claimed to know of no accidents of any kind that she had with the car and that the 1974 Honda she was driving was new when purchased and no insurance claims were ever filed on that vehicle. Hmm. Some journalists have theorized that Silkwood's car was rammed from behind by Silkwood's was rammed from behind and Silkwood's relatives to confirm that she had taken the missing documents to the union meeting and place them on the seat beside her. So, and they weren't in the accident. Yeah. That's it's this is suspicious. This is a very, uh, great precarious situation. And according to her family, she had received several threatening phone calls very shortly before her death. Uh, Because of concerns about contamination, the Atomic Energy Commission and the state medical examiner requested the analysis of Silkwood's organs by the Los Alamos Tissue Analysis Program. So they took Mm -hmm. her body. And at the request of the coroner and the AEC, um, certain organs and bone specimens were removed, packaged, frozen, and brought back to Los Alamos for analysis of their plutonium content. So much of the radioactive contamination was in her lungs, suggesting that plutonium had been inhaled. When her tissue were further examined, the highest deposits were found in the contents of her gastrointestinal tract, demonstrating that she had also ingested plutonium. There was no significant um, spots of plutonium in any other tissues, including in her bones. So it was just in her lungs and her stomach. So she had breathed it in and she had eaten it. So, okay, that, yep, that seems like somebody put something in Mm -hmm. things near and around her mouth. So... Public suspicions led to a federal investigation into the plant security and safety. National NPR reported that the investigation had found 20 to 30 kilograms of plutonium had been missing from the plant with no explanation as to where it went. Mm. And then due to basically the scrutiny, Care McGee closed its nuclear fuel plant in 1975. And the Department of Energy reported that Cimarron plant as decontaminated and decommissioned in 1994. So PBS Frontline produced a program called Nuclear Reaction, which was, it included aspects of Silkwood's story. Its website for the program included a summary of details entitled The Karen Silkwood Story and was printed in November 23rd of 1995. It covered the risks of nuclear energy and raised questions about corporate accountability and responsibility. Uh, Silkwood's father, Bill, and her children filed a lawsuit against Care McGee for negligence on behalf of her estate. The trial was held in 1979 and lasted 10 months, the longest up to that point in Oklahoma history. So the estate presented evidence that the autopsy proved Silkwood was contaminated with plutonium at her death. To prove that the contamination was sustained at the plant, evidence was given by a series of witnesses who were former employees of the facility. The defense relied on the expert witness, um, who was a top scientist at Los Alamos, and said that he believed the contamination in Silkwood's body was within legal standards. The defense later proposed that Silkwood was a troublemaker who might have poisoned herself. <sighs> the jury rendered its verdict of $505,000 in damages and $10 million in punitive damages to the family. Uh, the judgment was reduced to basically the estimated value of Silkwood's losses and property at her rental house and reversing the award of punitive damages on appeal. So basically your family got $5,000. See, uh, I'll, I'll, but then in 1984, wait. the U.S. Supreme Court restored the original verdict in Silkwood versus McKee Corp. And they basically settled out of court for about $1.38 million and admitted no liability. Mm. And that is the Karen Silkwood story. So, I mean, obviously somebody, whether it be somebody else or her or what it may be, Mm -hmm. because it could, I mean, I don't want to be that person because she's dead. You know, it right. could have been something where she wanted to be able to sue for a certain amount of money. So she did dose herself like microly and didn't really know what she was doing to try to get right. it. Um, and then, that doesn't explain her suspicious death. It does, because if they know that she's going to try to do that, they may, I mean, that I'm not right. saying the death was necessarily her doing it to herself, but like, right. it could have been that someone was trying to cover things as much as possible since that's what she was trying to do. Um, but also it could just be that things were just not, you know, like it was not mm-hmm. well kept and every, you know, obviously there's missing plutonium, but who took it right. and how and why is not known. And so 
it's interesting. It's definitely a thinker. Yeah. Okay. Tell me about your your story. Your story. So I'm going to tell you about Ira Einhorn, a.k.a. the Unicorn Killer. It sounds so much cooler than it is. The only reason he's called the Unicorn Killer is because Einhorn is one horn in what German or something and so they call him the unicorn killer <laughs> I'm like this is dumb stupid I thought maybe it'd be interesting more interesting I mean it's interesting don't get me wrong <laughs> I thought maybe it'd be interesting but it's not so here's but the I thought, story <laughs> I thought maybe the backstory to the name would have been a little more interesting but it's um, not so. but it's not it's just that simple um so Einhorn Einhorn uh, so Ira Einhorn was born on May 15th of 1940 in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. I feel and like I've done a lot of Pennsylvania stories. I, and that's why I know I've done a lot of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania stories because I feel like you do that every time. <laughs> and I was just waiting for it. Well, quit picking out Philadelphia stories then. I don't mean to. I find something interesting, start researching. I'm like, Philadelphia. Hmm. <laughs> Philadelphia. Yeah, what a fucked up place. Apparently we don't go to... What was the other place where they had a bunch of skinnings? Belgium? No. Um, Switzerland? Sweden? No, no, that wasn't either of those places. Denmark? Amsterdam? Now we're just naming places. Well, now I gotta just look it up real quick, you know? Katarzyna. 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 I want to say it was Belgium. Poland! Yeah, that's what it is. I, Poland. I'm still like typing it in, so I'm gonna go ahead and just like look it up anyway. It was deaf Poland. Yep. Yep. Krakow. Yeah. Krakow, Poland. Why is everybody skinning each other? Why are there three active skinners right now? It's not a thing. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Anyway, so he was born into a like normal middle class Jewish family in Philadelphia, so there wasn't any like he wasn't highfalutin and he wasn't like super low class and come from nothing you know yeah um when he went when he went to college uh he went to university of pennsylvania and he started becoming involved in the hippie counterculture cool great just no, he was, smell it from here just... right <laughs> so he Ugh. he was in at uh University of Pennsylvania from 1961 to 1963 about Mm -hmm. and in 1970 he spoke at an Earth Day event in Philadelphia so he actually kind of turned into this um, spokesperson for the culture I mean he was Mm -hmm. the speaker and all of these different things he knew people that were pretty well off and like famous in the in the culture so he just like famous hippies (laughs) Um, so it was kind of, it's kind of weird how it turned, you know, uh, after graduating with an English degree, he was an instructor of English at Temple U in the school year of 1964, 1965. So he was a professor too. Um, but this contract wasn't renewed because he basically was like, the education system is so dumb. And he taught the students about how using cannabis and LSD to open their minds and shit. You can't do that, dude. (laughs) You're, you're teaching in a university. Like he was just talking about how the academic system was just a farce and whatever. (laughs) So stupid. Anyway. So Einhorn met and started dating Holly Maddox, um, right around this time when he was a professor Mm-hmm. Um, Holly was originally from Texas and she was kind of like the all-American girl. She was a cheerleader in high school, you know, just uh, family oriented and she was really smart. She was going to university there, which is why she moved there. And she's just a very all-American, all around like down to earth gal, right? Uh, Holly started being quite enamored with Einhorn, he, she, he was just very different than what she grew up with. And so I think it was kind of like a rebellion almost to be with him too. Mm-hmm. Um, but as the relationship continued, Einhorn's true colors began to show. He started uh, abusing her and physically, emotionally. It, he, it also came out that he had a history of abuses like in okay. his past 
relationships, but it didn't, I couldn't read too much on like what happened, but so it's it just, just a real asshole. Pretty, Pretty much. He was an a-holes. He was an asshat. <laughs> That's what I thought you were going to say. <laughs> so in not 19- what I said, not, it's not what I said. It's not what I said. Um, in 1977, Holly left Einhorn and moved to New York city. There she met, uh, Another guy named Saul Lapidus, I think is how you say his name. Lapidus. I don't know. It's it's fine. My favorite is when we when we say it a thousand times. Commit to a pronunciation, and then we have to go. These are all the other ways it could say it. Lapidus. Lapidus. Lapidice. Lapidus. And when she was there, that's because she kind of moved there in a way to get away from him before she technically ended the relationship because he was abusive. So when she was there, that's when she was like, Hey, this isn't a thing anymore. Einhorn, like we are not together anymore. I don't want to do this anymore, sir. Right. So once she had said that after being there, he basically fired back being like, Hey, well you better come get your shit or I'm going to put it out in the, on the corner and it can get thrown away as trash. That's nice. And so she went there to get her things on September 9th of 1977 and was never seen again. Oh, that's not nice. Yeah, no, no, it, no. So her family began to worry because she had been gone for longer than expected and her mom's birthday had passed and everything and she hadn't even called because mm-hmm. um, she was planning to go there, get her things and like stay there for like a day or two or something. She had told Saul and then it had been like a week and her mom burst, mom's birthday passed and everything. And they're like, uh, something's up. Like, this is not like her to this just. This is super suspicious. Suspicious. Saul told her family that she had gone to get her things. Like he explained to them what happened. And so they called the police and the police went to speak with Einhorn at the house. Okay. Uh, I guess the story that he gave was that she came to get her things and left the apartment um to go to a co-op and buy okay to buy tofu and sprouts at a co-op down the road and then she just didn't come back because she had gone her got her things and left and that's what she said she was doing was getting sprouts and tofu okay so apparently the police believed this because they left i mean they had no other reason to not believe mm-hmm. it i guess um there was no other leads and the case cooled down a bit and the family hired a few like private investigators to track Einhorn for a while. Um, Einhorn lived as he always did, speaking at events, was part of a fellowship program at the Harvard Institute of Politics. Uh, In 1979, the private investigators had gathered enough information to give to the police in order to get a warrant. Uh, And so they searched Einhorn's apartment. Uh, He asked friends to help him move a apparently this is like one of the things is he had asked a friends to help him move a trunk that was full of secret documents and apparently secrets apparently during during the trial it comes out that this person said that he said they were full of uh documents about russian psychic warfare (laughs) excuse me uh, neighbors also began to complain of a rancid smell and some brown fluid leaking in the downstairs apartment from him. Oh no! Yeah, that's, that's liquefied body. That's mm, 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 mm. Um, on March twenty eighth of nineteen seventy nine, about eighteen months after she had disappeared, uh, there was a search done for of Einhorn's apartment. First, they found a large amount of Holly's things in the back of a closet that she had supposedly taken with her, he said, including her ID, her library card, and a handbag. And they were found in a box that was, like, labeled Maddox. Um, and there was a big locked trunk with uh, that he said were documents in this closet as well. So, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> Don't open it. Don't don't open it. Don't open it. Um, don't open so it truck. some of the articles that I read said that the trunk was locked, and they told him he had to break it, 
but then I watched a documentary and it showed a picture of the closet that was locked with a padlock. So I don't know if both were, or if it was just the closet or there were kind of like wishy-washy differences in some of the things I read and watched and listened to. Mm -hmm. Um, so anyway, uh, when the officers asked him to open the trunk, he said that he had lost the key. Again, I don't know if it's the closet or the trunk because it said different things. He said he'd lost the key, so the officers told him he had to break the lock. Um, so once they opened up the trunk, whether it be the closet or the trunk, once they opened the trunk up, the first thing the officer saw in an interview that I watched of the officer was Sears bags, like plastic bags. Um, then it and he's like and I gently you know kind of pushed them to the side like I didn't want to disturb anything so he's like so I just kind of nudged them over and underneath that were like styrofoam pieces and so he nudged those over and then right on the edge he could see a human hand um and that obviously that's when he was like okay we're not like gonna mess around with this anymore yuck dude yeah uh I cannot imagine (laughs) fucking I'm sorry you need to pause I cannot fucking imagine having a dead body just hanging out in my apartment like straight up yeah Edgar Allan Poe telltale heart like no I would no I know although I did we cleaned up and we packaged all our (laughs) shit in the basement and I have a trunk that my great grandma t- brought over from Ireland and my dad was mouthing off. And I'm like, I swear to God, if you keep on keeping on, I'm going to shove you in that trunk and we're just never going to open it again. <laughs> we Have you heard about that case of the girl who went missing and did we, did we cover it? And she mm-hmm. had, they were playing a game and then she, they never saw her again. And she had gotten locked in a trunk in the attic. And I've, like, I heard the, I remember that story. Yes. But yeah. I, we've never told that, but yeah. Yeah. No, I totally like, that's the, what I thought of when this happened was that she like accidentally locked herself in the trunk. Cause they were like playing hide and seek or something and it wouldn't open and nobody went up to the attic to look. Cause they didn't think to look there for whatever. Yeah. Or I don't know if that's even like a real story. <laughs> It's one of those like, what's that a creepypasta that I've heard? That might be a creepypasta that I've heard too. (laughs) But either way, I can't fucking imagine just storing a body. Like, (laughs) fucking get rid of that shit, yo. Right. Well, and so because Uh, of the way Or don't kill anyone. I'm sorry, that should have been my first. (laughs) First things first. Let's not. The best way to not is to not. Um, (laughs) But once it's done it's done get rid rid. of it (laughs) um but yeah so after he like found this like hand it turns out she was like partially mummified too because he had like stuffed it with air fresheners and the alcohol in the air fresheners or something like partially mummified her body Um, ew yeah gross she was like decomposing and mummified in places it's weird (laughs) so don't like that So Holly had suffered blunt force trauma to her head, um, but in this fractured her skull, but it is found that her body was put into the trunk when she was still alive, most likely knocked unconscious. Oh no. So like he thought he killed her? Mm Mm-hmm. Check a pulse, dude. Come on now. Yeah, no, but I mean, eventually she had like succumbed to her injuries, obviously, like that's what she ended up dying from, from bleeding out, but he could have saved her but he yeah yeah so you could have just caught a charge for domestic assault but instead you went with murder yeah that seems reasonable generally just like keep your fucking hands to yourself guys come on and girls no i'm just saying guys like in general people humans i know oh got it (laughs) i was just saying if i ever have a son and chick slaps him or hits him i give him full authority to punch her back I don't know if I'd say full authority to punch back, but like get out of the situation. But I feel like because... I'm sorry. <laughs> Maybe not punch back, but like <laughs> like defend yourself in a way. If you have to like hold her down so she's not punching you in the face, cool. Like do it. Full authority to defend yourself because I'm sorry, but I'm like I just don't feel it's necessary to punch each other at all. Yeah, let's say that. 
Like if we could all Everybody just, like, just teach your nice. children to keep your hands to yourself, mm-hmm. but also teach your children to never start a fight, but always finish it. Mm-hmm. Everybody that's how just I was... teaches their children that. That's how I was there taught. No fights. <laughs> Don't start a fight, but if someone starts one with you, I give you permission, permission to, finish to finish it. it. Yeah, finish it. <laughs> Um, so when the police, um, when the police officer stated that he thought he found Holly's body, like when he saw the hand, I guess he like turned around and was just like, I think we found her. Uh, Einhorn shrugged and said, you found what you found. Sir, I found a body. (laughs) I know that. Human hand. (laughs) Thanks for giving me permission. I'm aware. But how like fucking arrogant is that like you found what you found you found what you found yeah i did yeah i did he's definitely got like in my mind he has like this god complex because he just thinks he is like holier than thou and just knows everything smarter than everybody so einhorn was charged with her murder obviously but his lawyer arlen specter Uh, was able to get him out on a $40,000 bond, which means because you only have to pay 10% up front in order Mm -hmm. to get out on bond, he only had to get $4,000 together to get out for murder, which is even low in the 70s. Um, He didn't even have to pay it. His friend did because he had these like big deal, like rich friends. friends. Uh Um, A Canadian socialite who doubted that he would have been involved in a murder is the one that paid him his way. Um, Once he was out on bail, he tried to convince people that it was possibly a setup by the government, like the CIA and the FBI, um, wanting to discredit or wanting to discredit him because of his like leanings as a activist in the um, hippie movement. I mean, it's not unheard of. no. I feel like you weren't that important, bro. I don't think people care that much about you, bud. That's what I mean. He feels yeah. like he's like this big, big fancy shot, pants. If they were going to um, do that to anyone, it would have been the Beatles. Right. Um, he also hired Norris Gelman for this trial, that this first trial that he was going to. Um, once a person is out on bail, you can pretty much just do what you will and check in until your court date. Mm-hmm. Um, basically you, some, it's all different in different States, but you just check in, whether it be via phone, go in, talk, whatever. But Einhorn skipped on bail and missed his court date completely. Of course he did. Uh-huh. Uh, January of 1981, when he was discovered or when it was discovered that he wasn't showing up for court, um, they went to his registered event, like address and, they're not there not even in philadelphia not even in the u.s there was no sign of him anywhere okay pop. <clears throat> all right sorry <laughs> don't drink my ginger ale dude that's what i was drinking when i was sick too ginger yeah. ale first go to i was like dad can you go give me ginger ale <laughs> he's like that's weird but yeah i'm like I just, my, all i want i just want ginger ale my parents happened to like have seven up so i like had a few um, cans of that which was good because it's the only thing I could really mm-hmm. keep down that settled my stomach um, and now that I'm back here and I'm still like trying to not be nauseous I'm drinking Canada dry Canada dry ginger ale is my favorite mm-hmm. all right so in 1991 so 10 years after his original court date Lynn Abraham was elected as the district attorney in uh, Philadelphia and she set sights on finding Einhorn. She's like, they just kind of put this to the side. And she's like, no, let's do it. Let's no, figure out where he is. Bitch. Yeah. Um, they found him in Dublin, of all places. It's because and, Ireland is a non-extradition country. Um, yes. They, the well, government can choose to extradite, but it's, for the most part, a non-extradition country. Well, he probably should have stayed there then because he didn't he stay have. there. <laughs> but so that is him, why. Yeah, they found him in Dublin. And again, they couldn't do anything because it's a non-extradition. So they knew he was there, but not much they could do about it. Because the Irish are rebels. And then if they I ever tra- committed a crime, that's where I would go. <laughs> and then they tracked him to France, oh, which France is... A bunch of weenies. 
I was like, which is also a, they have like terms on extradition. Um, and this was all paid for by a, uh, lady, a lady, a lady who we later married, but we're, we'll Dude get into that. Looks like a lady. Um, Damn it. nice, nice. That, you know, that Canada dry though. I'm going to leave that in. <laughs> Good. Uh, by 1994, uh, this woman, some, for whatever reason, kind of regretted like the decision of like paying his way. Mm-hmm. Um, and started to believe that he may be guilty and basically gave authorities the, his number and the address he was at, uh, which happened to be in Stockholm oh. and a, <laughs> so it's really confusing because they never really like name names on who actually pays for things and who actually said these things. But I think you just got really close to the microphone. So you got really loud. I think. <laughs> I think that it was mostly paid for by his wife that he married there named Annika, but I don't know for sure. So um, when Linda's they got home, huh? Linda's home, Linda. the whole house rattled. <laughs> um, when they got to the address, they found a lady named Annika there. Um, she had known Ira Einhorn and she said she knew him as Ben Moore but he hadn't been around apparently uh they didn't know where like she said she didn't know where he was i think she is complicit in oh, things sure. um so they ran her through interpol and found that she was married to a man named eugene mallon in france eugene which, which was obviously an alias for yes ira einhorn um in 1997 they tracked Einhorn down to a small village in France and he was arrested. He was living a lavish lifestyle with his wife Annika Flauden who it's just they're all this over the place. Bitch. Who it seems is the one financially supporting everything. Okay. Um cuz she came from money, like her family mm-hmm. is rich. The Pennsylvania or er, Pennsylvania had his trial in Absenia. Okay. So they had convicted him and he was guilty without mm-hmm. him being there. They knew he was alive and that he was on the run. Yep. Um, with this, the French judicial judicial system um, ruled against extraditing people <sighs> that were tried in absenia because they said that it wasn't fair to the person to be able to, even though he had a lawyer that spoke on his behalf, just like, mm-hmm. but the, it, they said it wasn't fair. So they would not send him back to serve life that he was given when he was convicted. Um, In 1998, Pennsylvania passed a new bill that they nicknamed the Einhorn bill that basically gave him the chance to get a retrial so that they could get him extradited and reconvict him. Uh Yeah. So they were able to pass this bill. Um, He was arrested again, and then they started the extradition process to get him back. Um, and so they still fought it a lot. The French government did, but it ended up getting sent all the way up to the prime minister eventually. And he mm-hmm. made the decision to send him this back. Is not worth our time, you know, <laughs> right? Like, why are we what? So in 1999, the French prime minister granted the extradition. And while waiting extradition, it seems that Einhorn slashed his own throat. <gasps> And he survived with only superficial damages. So it was oh. an attention grab to be like, yeah, look at me, I'm being persecuted and it's taking this toll on me and whatever. Mm-hmm. Again, I just don't believe anything this fucker says. No. Um, in July 2001, so this all started in the 70s. In 70s, like yeah. the mid to late 70s. And in 2001, Einhorn finally started his trial in the United States. It lasted four weeks. Einhorn still said that he was being framed by the FBI and CIA. Um, But he was found guilty and given life without parole. His lawyer claimed that Holly had been. um... So they the lawyer tried to play this card as if Holly had been like seen places alive months after it was proven that she had died. That's not a thing. And that they 
killed her. The government killed her in order to frame him. <clears throat> and they had her decompose and partially <laughs> mummify and then put her in a trunk and put her into his closet so that they could frame him. But neighbors were complaining of smells mm-hmm. and fluids and stuff way before this would have been a thing from their timeline. So it was like, well, and his friends mm-hmm. moved the trunk. Like, right. That's, it's just ugh, ugh. so stupid. <laughs> so no one was charged with like aiding and abetting and evading law enforcement with like protecting Einhorn and paying his way for different things, um, including his wife, Annika. I don't understand. I feel Probably like... Probably just wasn't worth it at this point. They were just trying to get him. I know, but it's just so annoying that it's like they can use their money, throw it around, and protect mm-hmm. the killer. Um, Einhorn died April 3rd of 2020, so pretty recently last year. Yeah. Um, of a longstanding cardiac issue. So it didn't say he had a heart attack, but... Um, probably something similar right uh the apartment where where holly was murdered is still standing today and it looks eerily similar to what it did back when she was murdered and they found her body um the current tenant they did like a interview with the current tenant she goes yeah a lot of that because it's like a college town so like a college area so the current tenant had said, you know, a lot of people I don't think are aware of what happened in this building. Mm-hmm. And she's just like, but she definitely gets an uneasy feeling throughout the apartment, especially in the bedroom closet where Holly's body was found. She oh goes, God. it's just, it's one of those, she's like, every time you're near it, or if you're going to bed and you haven't closed the closet door, you get that just like eerie uncomfortable something's watching you feeling mm-hmm. um and and she said like it's not bad but it's just an eerie feeling so that is the tale of the unicorn killer and the murder of holly maddox i don't like that at all yeah it was it was just a very like twisty turny like oh the cia framed me if you're gonna call someone the unicorn killer he better be killing people with a horn shaped like a unicorn horn. Like I want, I want the wounds to have like a spiral drill hole in them. <laughs> well, and it's just like, or something to do with unicorn, not just like einhorn, the German word for unicorn or one horn. I mean, like, good for you. It's an interesting name, but so anticlimactic. Yeah, I. Uh, so I watched the movie seven for the first time with chris this week. oh you had never seen that before i had never seen it i've always heard that what's in the box what's in the box i've always heard that and i've like oh i need to see that movie and i just never thought to do it so we watched it spoiler alert this wife's head this is what i said <laughs> well and okay so i'm watching it and we get to the point where the only ones that are left are uh like uh envy and rage or whatever mm-hmm. and Rat. i was just like wrath that's what it is and i was like you know what's gonna happen it's gonna be like his wife is there because he's envious of his life and then he's gonna kill him because he's has wrath towards him and chris looks at me and he goes like tries to make it look like he's looking at me like i'm stupid (laughs) and i was like that's what it is isn't it (laughs) he goes it's no fun watching movies with you you always guess things (laughs) it's like i'm just saying you don't have to react like i'm right (laughs) I do the same uh, thing we do but, it too. well it's more fun when we watch it together because we both know what the plot we we do it right? when we're together he's used to <laughs> <laughs> but what i made me think of that is you're like there better be like a stab wound that's the shape of a unicorn horn made me think of how they killed the um the uh sex worker when he had the like knife dildo <laughs> and the guy's like he made me fuck her oh yeah. god yeah no that movie's yeah. fucked up it's so fucked up i was like oh oh it really is i had said something to justin rimmel like i'm well, i'm about to watch seven he's like you've never seen it he goes oh that's fucked it will brain like mind fuck you and i was What's like holy box? shit <laughs> holy shit it really did brad pitt it's a good movie I know, and it's like prime Brad Pitt chiseled mm-hmm. jawline before he was the biggest cheater scumbag ever. Yeah. 
<laughs> is it Morgan Freeman in that too? Mm-hmm. He's yeah. the he's the uh, uh, partner. Yeah, he's the old grizzled partner, and Brad Pitt's the new like energetic way into it guy. Oh, that's <laughs> such a good movie. Uh, movie corner. <laughs> All right. Well, Linda probably wants to get back into her sewing room, so we should probably wrap it up. Wrap this bitch up. All right, guys. Thanks for listening. You the best. Like, rate, review, comment, do all the things with the stuff, listen. Yes. 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 Spread the word. Spread yourselves. It's Valentine's Day on oh, recording. Meow, meow. I hope meow. you're still not spreading yourself as of Wednesday because I bet you you'd you're be sore. sore. <laughs> Very sore. No I longer, feel like no longer pleasurable. It's just like ow. Ow. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like ow. <laughs> On Wednesday, you better been ridden hard and put up wet. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> okay, bye, guys. <laughs>